0: The threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. The course is self-paced so that you can start whenever and wherever. So start your free course, American Citizenship and its Decline, with my good friend, Victor Davis Hanson, today. How do you do that? Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash justnews to start. It's free, and it's easy to get started, and it's an easy URL to remember. All you got to do, go to hillsdale.edu slash justnews. One more time, hillsdale.edu slash justnews. Hello America and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon reports the podcast from just the news. Yes, it's Monday Get the cobwebs out stretch it out. It's time to get back to the work week I wish we didn't have to it was such a beautiful weekend, but it is time to dig in and today We've got a big guest for you. Yes a famous name in politics a third-generation name in politics. George P. Bush is joining us today. He's the former Texas Land Commissioner, and he is running for Attorney General of Texas, challenging Ken Paxson in the uh, primaries uh, for next year. And uh, he's going to be joining us to tell us why he's running, what his platform is, and uh, what is going on at the border. He's been very hard on President Biden and the immigration policies there. He had a great tweet over the weekend talking about two uh, Customs and Border Patrol agents who risked their life to save two illegal aliens who were trying to, uh, in the most dangerous of ways, get into the country. He saluted them this week, and a reminder that Border Patrol officers not only Uh, protect us. They oftentimes protect the illegal immigrants who get themselves in trouble crossing a river, doing something dangerous as they try to get into the United States unlawfully. Uh, But we're going to have that great interview with George P. Bush in a a few seconds. I'm really excited about it. Real opportunity to dig into the state of Texas, to the um, big picture of what's going on with immigration, the economy, cancer culture, critical race theory, so many of the Um, moving uh, parts of our uh, political debate today. Texas is sort of a lab for how conservatives are countering what Joe Biden and his team is doing. And uh, no better person to have than someone right on the ground. George P. Bush, candidate for Texas Attorney General, coming up right after the commercial break. But first, when we left on Friday, I promised you that we'd be breaking a story. We did. It, It reveals for the first time that Hunter Biden... Received a subpoena in the spring of 2016 from the federal government, the FBI, the IRS, the SEC, in a joint investigation of his longtime business partner, Devin Archer. That's the guy that went on the board of Burisma Holdings with him. So the guy that was involved in the Ukrainian natural gas company gig and the uh, uh, subpoena triggered a moment of worry inside Hunter Biden's inner circle. Why? Because his accountants, his lawyers discovered that Hunter Biden had not, repeat, had not uh, paid uh, his taxes on most of the million dollars he had received from Burisma during the first two years he joined the natural gas company's board. So uh, almost a million dollars of income, uh, much of it not covered by taxes. He needed to file a back tax thing. He needed to come up with the money and they were afraid that with the fed snooping around about devon archer and they were looking at the very company by the way with archer where the two men's money was coming in from ukraine from burisma the monthly payments of 83,333 a month each for hunter biden and his buddy devon archer now a convicted felon devon archer is um, and so knowing that that money was going to come in, they were worried that the feds were going to ask the question, hey, are you paying taxes on this? How are you paying taxes on it? Now, second part of it, just as important as they were doing the analysis and the expenses against the revenue, the income that was coming in from Burisma, they discovered another thing. Hunter Biden was kicking back a uh, monthly finder's fee, a board finder's fee to a Ukrainian-American who helped him land that gig with uh, Barisma. So how many of us have to pay someone every month to keep our job? How many of us have to pay a finder's fee for a job? It seems like an odd arrangement, something else we didn't know in the many ethical entanglements that Hunter Biden's overseas business deals had. But, well, we know, people will say, well, OK, that's great. We now know that Hunter Biden owed some taxes. Back in 16, he had failed to pay taxes. He had gotten a subpoena, that scared him. So what? And the answer is in today's story, I tried to explain the so what. And that is the entire impeachment theory, the entire impeachment narrative, the entire impeachment story that Democrats gave us for the first Trump impeachment, the one that focused on Ukraine, was that President Trump abused his power of office, abused the power of the presidency, because he asked for an investigation of the Hunter Biden, Breesma, Ukraine matter when there was no evidence that Hunter Biden had done anything wrong. Basically, putting him under investigation just to put him under investigation, that's an abuse of power. I would agree with that. If you just announce or try to create an investigation, well, you Guess what? There was a good reason to investigate Hunter Rise. And in fact, there were three or four good reasons why Hunter, Biden's work, Burisma, Ukraine, the State Department in Ukraine needed to be uh, investigated. All of them came out after the impeachment trial of January 2020, but they're really worth noting. And so let me just run through them quickly. Hunter Biden now in his own documents acknowledged he hadn't paid taxes on his Burisma money for 14 and much of 15. Two, uh, uh, Hunter Biden was under criminal investigation starting in 2018 for tax issues. We now know, yep, that's right. The firm that Hunter Biden used to do some of the foreign lobbying for Burisma uh, Blue Star Strategies is under investigation by the Justice Department now for its work back then. So that's a third thing, according to a recent article in Political. And four, documents that I got from FOIA under the Freedom of Information Act show that uh, twice, not once, but twice, the Biden State Department reported that Barisma, while Hunter Borden was serving on the board, that's very important, Hunter Biden was on the board at this moment, that twice the gas company made bribery payments that were reported to the fbi once and to state department higher-ups the second time so bribery tax issues undercutting corruption policy that's another thing late last year ron johnson and chuck Grassley, the two republican senators who looked at the ukraine and other foreign business dealings of hunter biden said they had testimony from state department officials saying you ready get ready for this Hunter Biden's role working for a corrupt company undercut the uh, State Department, the U.S. efforts to fight corruption in Ukraine and created the appearance of a conflict of interest. All right. So you got bribery, appearance of a conflict of interest, unpaid taxes, criminal investigations. Guess what? The Democratic storyline does not hold up for impeachment. It has fallen into tatters. We know it because we've got the proof sitting in paper. Check out both stories at justinews.com. hope you enjoy them. They're very important. All right, we're going to go to that commercial break. When we come back, George P. Bush is joining us. You'll want to hear from him. Uh, he's running for attorney general. Big moment for all of us. All right, we'll go to commercial break. When we come back, George P. Bush joining us. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out. who i trust more than anyone at birch gold group text just news to 98 98 98 right now all right folks welcome back from the commercial break and as promised a very special guest a man whose name is well known and now he's running for texas attorney general joining me right now is george p bush uh commissioner great to have you on the show
1: Good to be with you, John. Thanks for having me.
0: You have an amazing family. I've, I got to know your grandfather pretty well over the years and uh, an amazing record of public service. You got your dad a governor, your uncle was a governor and a president, your grandfather a president, and then you jumped in right behind him. And now you're uh, as Land Commissioner of Texas, you're now making the move to run for Texas Attorney General. What prompted that? What was what, what got you thinking that's a good race to jump into?
1: Well, Texans for a long time have known that our current attorney general was under securities fraud indictment, uh, a, a criminal indictment against our top law enforcement official. But frankly, it was the FBI announcement that they were investigating claims of bribery, corruption, obstruction of a federal investigation. Last November, that prompted me to think very closely about running for this office. It's an office that I admire. I think it is one of the most important in our state to fight back the federal overreach that we're seeing from Joe Biden to help secure the border, to back our thin blue line on our streets and to, to confront human trafficking. And that's, that's what drives me. That's what I'm passionate about. Uh, as a military veteran, um, You know, I initially ran for the land office to deal with veterans issues. And I feel like when we talk about our police officers under attack, our thin green line who are uh, not supported by our president, I feel like it's a new challenge, one that a lot of Republicans need and want here in our state.
0: Yeah, and there's no doubt that Those are the issues of the day. And there's such a dichotomy between what Republicans and conservatives stand for and what uh, Joe Biden and the current Democrats are promoting across America. It seems like it'll be a great opportunity. The, you, right off the bat, right when you jumped in, we had a, you had a really big announcement. The, uh, the Border Patrol Union got behind you in the race. Uh, how big a moment was that and what does it do for the campaign?
1: Well, it's an immediate shot in the arm. I mean, we had an incredible crowd that came out, a lot of young people, diverse audience, really collecting upon the election uh, experience that we had here in Texas, where President Trump did very well and helped uh, deliver success for down-ballot Republican candidates. But then for my first trip, I went down to the border to expose the weakness of what we have from The perspective that the Trump wall has not been completed, that these are appropriated dollars from the Congress and that they need to be spent to defend our border communities. So Brandon Judd, who's the president of the union, this is the exclusive agent that represents 18,000 Border Patrol agents that wear the thin green line every single day, keeping the watch on behalf of our country, came in and supported the campaign. And I couldn't be more honored to, to talk about their issues. Throughout this campaign, I, I can pretty much go to die, die and go to heaven because this is, I think, the most important endorsement in this race, because our state is under assault and we have an unresponsive president.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. The. um you, you talked about federal overreach. You have a pretty developed platform. I mean, most candidates who get in don't have as much. I mean, you really have a very developed platform. I want to go to one thing that I remember as a reporter, and that was back, I think it was in 15, 14, 15, 16. Uh, you joined a lawsuit to help Texas ranchers fight uh, the BLM's overreach when they were trying to impose on the Texas ranchers' uh, property and will. Talk a little bit about what you learned about that lawsuit, that fight, and what it portends for uh, the race ahead of you.
1: Well, I first learned about the issue when I was running for land commissioner, when I first had a chance to meet with privately owned farmers and ranchers that represented about 55,000 acres in North Texas along the border with Oklahoma, and telling me that the litigation actually dated back to the Clinton days where the Clinton Bureau of Land Management sought to declare on behalf of the federal government more title. And for a lot of farmers and ranchers who have quietly paid their property tax and have been honorable citizens to be told by their federal government that they would be going to court to defend and quiet title is unacceptable and i think most americans would agree as it turns out the state of texas owns some acreage in the question area of question and so we enjoined a lawsuit brought, bringing together on behalf of private landowners that couldn't afford the litigation expense and working with pro bono organizations here in austin that defend private property rights and successfully won in the courthouse against the federal government Um, I've also brought cases against the federal government under the Endangered Species Act. If you get this, John, where Fort Hood, our largest military installation in North America, not just in Texas, um, has a lot of acreage that prepares our young men and women for combat overseas. But yet the Golden Cheek Warbler, which in my opinion and in the opinion of Texas A&M, has plenty of population, because it was protected uh, as an endangered species, it was actually resulting in the potential shutdown of acreage on Fort Hood. Wow. So I brought a case along with private developers with other pro bono attorneys, and we were able to get a favorable judgment because the Obama administration used the wrong legal standard when evaluating when to protect a species and when not. Uh, So I do have the experience of fighting on behalf of the state of Texas as it relates to natural resources. If you look at the Biden executive orders most of which affect the Texas economy, pre- predominantly in oil and gas. Right. And so there's no better person suited for these types of lawsuits than somebody who's been in the oil and gas industry as an attorney, both as a private citizen and as a land commissioner. So, you know, we're, we're actually in the process of looking at another lawsuit. I'll come back on your show in a few weeks and let you know which suit that is. It's related to the wall on behalf of the state of Texas, once again, holding deadbeat bureaucrats accountable and making them do their job.
0: How about that? That is going to be a big one. And, uh, you know, it's funny, as, I, as you look out, there's so many things that are in the news today, and almost all of them, uh, the counter alternative, the counter solution is coming from Texas. Texas is just full of ideas and conservative ideas, and not just ideas, they turn into action, whether it's critical race theory, election integrity. Uh, why is, what, is it the independent streak of Texas? How does Texas become sort of the lab for so many uh, conservative ideas and policies?
1: Well, I think it's rooted in our rich history. I mean, after all, we were our own republic between 1836 and 1845. And since that time, we've honored our military veterans in a unique way. I think a lot of vets would say that Texas does a, a better job. When it comes to liberal progressive policies, I think a lot of Texans know that under the 10th Amendment that we have the ability to assert our own state's rights. And it seems like whether it was the Obama administration, the Clinton administration, now the Biden administration... That we see an attack on our values, our way of life, whether it's living out our faith in the public square or um, designing an education system the way we see fit or our economy, whether that's fossil fuel base or whether that's based upon industrial processes that somehow the left views to be evil and, and dangerous and dirty when it's not um, so. I just know that in my role as land commissioner, the best I can do is represent my beneficiaries, which are the school kids of Texas. And to your point on our independence streak, we have an endowment now in excess of $42 billion, that's Amazing. independent of taxes, independence of federal involvement that right? all benefit public education. And that's through the sensible management of our natural resources. But as AG, I would continue the to fight against the pushback, the inactivity that we've seen on the border. But there super activity to regulate our everything from our water streams to our riverbeds our estuaries our farms or ranches uh oil, oil and gas wells the way that we run our economy in our state and it's i think for a lot of texans who are not involved in politics they just find it offensive and just want to be left alone
0: yeah they want that's just that freedom that we've always been fighting for the um you've talked a lot about uh, human trafficking sex trafficking you've been a very eloquent voice for a very long time uh, things were a little tamped down for a while because the border was more tightly regulated, and so it slowed down a little bit—not a lot, but a little bit—and now it's really clearly uh, accelerated with the board, uh, Biden border policies. As an attorney general, what's one way you could deal with it? Now you had some—you've had some ideas about how to tackle this and try to uh, push back on what is really one of the great horrific crimes of our of our time.
1: Well, sadly, the current attorney general has led zero prosecutions uh, in the last year. Um, And that's because these cases typically have an original jurisdiction at the local or county level. And because of the crisis in leadership, none of the cases have been referred to the AG. So day number one, I would work to restore that relationship with local DAs to get those cases referred to us to take on the complicated criminal networks that we know are operating on both sides of the border. Sadly, Texas is now number two, close behind California in terms of total reported cases Mm. for human trafficking the illegal immigration situation has only amplified uh, the crisis. But President Trump deserves a lot of credit for fighting the for signing the FOSTA Act, which is the Fighting Online Sex Trafficking Act, right. which is an amendment under the Section 2230 um, provision that everybody's talking about in Congress on whether it's related to political speech. But this allows state AGs and state law enforcement officials to better interdict the crisis that we're seeing online because. The the traditional method by which we interdict these crimes are still based on the brick and mortar uh, Keystone Cops model rather than going online and infiltrating these networks because a lot of these young women are being groomed on their Instagram, their Snapchats, uh, and you name it. So we just got to keep up with the times. It's moving online, leveraging the new exemption that President uh, Trump has provided local law enforcement, um, and then putting the uh, available resources behind it to, to take on these crimes.
0: Yeah, it's such an important um, uh, thing. And I, I, we had a couple guests on this show just a month ago of, of people who were uh, sex trafficked and the stories just, they bring you to tears. No matter how tough you are, you hear a story like that, and you're like, "We we just we're better than this in America. We got to stop it." And it sounds like you've uh, you've made this a real real big priority. Now you're a man of faith. I, I'm a Catholic too, and I know you're a practicing Catholic. And abortion and and value in life has been really at the root of your political career, your 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 DNA of, of who you are. We have a president that is Catholic in practice, but not in in doctrine on many issues like that. And this week, the uh, Catholic bishops are talking about uh, perhaps changing the policy for how how politicians who don't adhere to church doctrine get treated. Uh, What's that like? I mean, you're on both sides of this aisle, right? You're in the Catholic Church and and you're in politics. Uh, What sort of impact could that have on on political leaders when it comes out?
1: Well, to me, it's my foundation. I can't speak to to President Biden's uh, excuse for why he does not support uh, the rights of the unborn. Uh, my proudest moment as an elected official here in Texas was leading the largest pro-life rally on the southern steps of the Capitol right. two legislative sessions ago. And I'm proud to be, to support uh, legislation this session uh, that we call the heartbeat bill that you saw in a lot of southern uh, legislative state houses that uh, restrict abortion past eight weeks. Um, this past Sunday in my own parish, um, our father called for prayers for the unborn and called for our elected officials to um, to not only lead with their faith, but lead in the public square based upon their faith and their principles and, and faith. And he wasn't looking at me directly, but he, he may have known <laughs> you that. You felt I, it anyways. But, you know, in our in our call to prayers, we talk about how elected officials actually need to, to follow through on what they talk about in, yeah. in parish. And on Sunday mornings, you got to I think have to leave with your faith. And this is one of those big issues where um, it's at the core of who I am, and and I'm not going to compromise on it. So as a G, I, I, you know, Supreme Court's already said they're going to hear the Mississippi case. I'm not sure I'm going to get there in time to argue it, but I'd be in there on that case. Yeah, no, for sure.
0: That's going to be a landmark and really important. Now, I want to get to the $64,000 question because a lot of people have written a lot about this that in the era of Trump and the Republican Party, the Bush name maybe is seen as a liability, but you don't see it that way at all. And I wonder if you could explain a little bit just uh, uh, how you navigate that. There's perception and there's reality. Uh, a lot of your policies are directly aligned with all of the conservative policies, not only President Trump, but going back generations to to your, your to your family. How do you? How do you how do you deal with that issue on the trail and in the media and places where it comes up?
1: Well, make no mistake, President Trump is the life of the Republican Party. He has brought a new sense of energy. He's brought new voters. I mean, I remind folks in Texas that he carried Zapata County. This is on the border, one of the poorest areas of the state, uh, over 90 percent Hispanic, and yet he carried it, uh, almost carrying Hidalgo County as well through his message of economic opportunity, free markets, but most importantly, border security. Yeah. Um, so his message resonates in in new communities and has brought new voters. As a Bush, I, of course, I love my dad and my uncle and my grandfather, and I try to honor their legacy. Um, and they brought me, and I have them to thank for me being in the position that I'm at. Uh, but the reality is, and I make this argument all the time when I'm with them, is that uh, President Trump is the future of the party – Uh, We need to carry on the successes that we've had this past November in our state, helping to elect new down-ballot candidates and carry on this legacy. Because, you know, in short order, I said this last summer where I said President Trump is the only thing standing between our country and socialism. And people laughed at me and said, well, that's just election hyperbole. But as it turns out, you know, with about $10 trillion of additional spending on top of $25 trillion in national debt. I mean, our children, our grandchildren are facing a size of government that they can never afford. Yeah. And um, this is no longer about our generation, John. This is about our kids and our it is. grandchildren. And and among younger people, polling is showing that two of three young Americans are open to socialism. So I take this threat very seriously. Biden, you know, he didn't really campaign. He was in the, in the basement for most of the time. That's right. But and when he did communicate with the media, he did say, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a, a sensible Democrat from the middle, and we've seen anything but that. So to me, you've got to look at the the total picture here, and our country needs to have a recovery of conservative ideas, and I hope it starts with the House and Senate.
0: Yeah, next year seems to be the bellwether. We'll really know how much people have reacted to the the Biden agenda. You, you talk often about students, and I, you were a teacher, if I recall correctly, at one point in your career. Uh, there's this incredible debate going on about what we're going to teach our children in the future. Is it going to be the patriotic education that you and I grew up on, or is it going to be this critical race theory or, or uh, some of the other uh, progressive ideas that are now making their ways into school boards? Um, what do you think of that dynamic, and what would you do as attorney general to try to address it?
1: Well, our state legislature was very proactive in saying enough is enough. Critical race theory, woke culture, cancel culture, it's all dangerous for future generations in, in our classroom. We have an elective body composed in terms of our state board of education, and thankfully it's majority conservative where they have held the line, and they've basically stood for the idea that we need to teach the Constitution, we need to teach more civics, we need to talk about the brilliance of our founders, this wonderful experiment that requires everybody's commitment, not just the commitment of a few. And you know, it's only through civic education of principles that unite us that will allow our country to remain free and prosperous and the best country to live in in the world. Otherwise, if we condemn people in the current generation for the sins of the past, we will never move forward as a nation. We will never be able to reconcile. Uh, So instead of this coalition of grievances that the other side continually presents, even in our classrooms, which we've known for a long time in post-secondary education uh, throughout our country. But now in K through 12, the fight couldn't be bigger. You know, as a parent of two who are now eight and six, the, the stakes couldn't be higher in my household. I know that's that's what applies. That's why we see here in a state like ours, homeschooling has increased three times where it was last year before COVID. Isn't that amazing? And, and part of it, you know, people say, well, it was COVID, but I think it just comes down to values, and and we're seeing more of that in our country. So what I encourage people to do is be involved in school board. I, whenever I meet a candidate for school board, I say, God bless you because you have the toughest job in, in politics. There's nothing more important <laughs> than true. how we're educating our children, and um, we need an accurate civics education in American schoolhouses. Otherwise, we're just going to resent each other wherever we go. Yeah, that's
0: so important. Uh, you know, you said something, and I swear I had a deja vu moment because I remember uh, being with your grandpa in um, in Houston back in I don't know 2010, 2011 for a day. It was a real treat for me. And he said something about it. If you spend too much time staring in the rearview mirror while driving the car, life you're likely to crash. And that's always stuck with me in my head. One of those fun uh, pieces of wisdom that he'd always would dole out. But it's true that um, we too much of what we're the current debate and policies tried to address things that are 30 40 50 100 200 300 years old and the real issues are in the communities today i mean there are african-american communities that despite the great new deal and all the different social policies are still trapped in the cycle of poverty their children are going to failed schools and all that looking backwards doesn't fix the present or the future when you when you go about doing this and obviously you have a very big vision for this because you 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 help students you work one-on-one with them what are some of the keys to breaking the cycle of failed schools
1: well, we need more school choice. Sadly, for a conservative state like ours here in Texas, we've fallen further and further behind other innovative uh, schools and state houses that have dared to experiment and dare to achieve, whether it's Arizona or Florida, where they actually act, have and offer opportunity scholarships to kids in socioeconomically challenged areas or historically failing public school districts. Um, you know, I tip my hat to Betsy DeVos for being a wonderful education secretary and and in being forced to withstand the shouts of the mob on this issue, um, but sadly here in Texas, and part of it is not necessarily Republican Democrats. Some of it is rural versus urban divide. Right. But we have just not been willing to 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 be bold in this in this area. The waiting list right now. We do have public charters in Texas, so if you are a child, you are allowed to apply outside of a conventional school to a public charter school network. That waiting list in Texas is close to 150,000 students, Wow! and about a third of that is just in the Houston area alone. But the situation in HISD resulted in our education commissioner, along with the governor, to shut down one of the largest urban school districts in the entire country because of the fact that they didn't uh, pass their students um, and they didn't provide the quality education that parents demanded. So the state intervened, and we're now composing a new board of directors and trying to brick by brick rebuild a school district. But you'll find these public charter schools, and I happen to be involved with one up in North Texas called Uplift Education, where over 90% graduate from high school. And the stat that I love is that almost 100%, I mean, almost 100% are the first in their family to go get a college degree. I mean, how that's cool how you that? break cycles of poverty yeah. and it's through school choice and giving an opportunity for them to tailor an education that they see fit that they see fit and that they can then build upon for their brighter future, whether that's high, whether that's, you know, career tech, whether that's a four year university or, or going ahead and getting a job.
0: Yeah, such an important thing. And um, all this rhetoric that we're talking about now doesn't so few people that are talking the way you are trying to address what what it is. There's this battle in between Democrats and conservatives over the teachers union. But I sometimes get a sense, I know many teachers, my son was special ed and so I you know, met these amazing teachers who who groomed him and helped him get through all of his challenges and, and to be productive. Um, is there a gap sometimes between the people who actually teach, like yourself, uh, and the unions who maybe have a different agenda because they're involved in a, a Washington political paradigm? Uh, I'm just curious if, if as someone who has got to see it on the inside what uh, what that looks like and and whether there's some opportunity to to create a closure between the 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 differences in opinion,
1: absolutely. I remember as a teacher at my first job after college, getting a visit from the the uh, the county union boss, and he said, "Well, you know, I'd like to sit with you to ask you to join the union." And I said, Well, what benefits do I get for the hundreds of dollars that come out of my paycheck?" And he said, Well, we'll defend you in court." Um, and I, then I said, where, do my money, where does my money go in terms of political contributions? And he's like, well, you're just going to have to check out our, our website. And I checked it out, and it was all Democrat yeah. um, candidates for office in Florida. And then it, what a lot of teachers don't know is that legal protection is available to you with other um, – either on your own accord, so you can save your bar fees that you pay, or there's other conservative teachers unions out there. So there are some apolitical unions out there, and there are conservative ones on a national basis that will provide you coverage in your jurisdiction. But absolutely, it's just a political game. And it's just a reminder that anytime when you discuss education policy, you hear somebody talking about somebody other than the kids, you know that they are, that their intent is in the wrong place. And so that's, when I talk about school choice, this is about families. This is about giving the parent a choice. And it's about giving kids an opportunity to get ahead outside of failing school districts. And, so, and unfortunately in this discussion, we lose sight of the fact. And the unions, frankly, are out there for themselves and their their political interests.
0: Yeah, they become like little government agencies. It's so funny to watch the, the way that empowerment works. I want to ask you one uh, question that I think is is really dominated the headlines over the last six or seven months. And I, I don't know where... The issue will end before uh, 2022. But as you look out at the size of government, how it affects our lives, whether we were we, they dictate everything to when we can worship now during COVID, that was clearly an issue to uh, what we're going to spend, how much of our money goes to them, what our schools are going to get, what our kids are going to learn. Uh, is there a moment now where uh, Hispanic Americans, African Americans uh, uh, in traditional you know, independence, even some blue collar Democrats come and say, you know what, this thing has just gotten out of control. Is there a unique moment that maybe starting with the Trump movement of 16, now there's a chance to say, we're going to, we're going to take this big government. We're just going to tighten it up, way tighten it up. Is is, is there, is America ready for getting off the addiction of all things government?
1: I'm optimistic, you know, and it starts at least in the Texas example down in South Texas where you may have caught news of Javier Villalobos, the first Republican mayor to be elected down there in 50 years. For exactly that same reason because in Hidalgo County you have one of the largest tax loads at the county and local level that you'll find in the entire state and coincidentally in in one of the most poorest parts of our state um, because of the lack of historic understanding that with lower uh, taxation lower regulation you're going to create more free enterprise if you do it in a transparent way and, and have free markets available to small businesses and entrepreneurs and there's no more entrepreneurial community than the Hispanic community, at least in our state. Yeah, um, no doubt. So that's why it's people like Governor Abbott, like myself, Senator Cornyn, um, and others, and President Trump, who consistently carry a majority of the Hispanic vote in our state. Um, to me, it's about you know political parties, namely our party, and candidates engaging these communities and talking about the commonalities. And it's important to do it the day after election as opposed to the day before an election, because Obviously, you're more authentic if you talk about the issues that face the community rather than trying to, to get a vote. And that's why, for example, my first trip after announcing and my first trip after getting reelected was down to South Texas to exactly that area that I referred to. So, absolutely, I think this is going to be an opportunity moving forward. And when put in the context of anybody who has a kid and they think about a 30 plus trillion dollar debt, they're going to think long and hard about. The viability of our U.S. Treasury, how we're going to compete against China, what type of jobs are going to be available, and the quality of schools that are available to them, that message is going to win. So uh, I'm very optimistic about our chances in 22.
0: Uh, it seems like it is going to be the epic election too. It's going to be very interesting to watch the dynamics continue to shift. Uh, the polling data clearly shows some really unique shifting just in the last five months since election day. Have you ever met President Trump? Have you or will you seek his endorsement? I mean, I'm just curious uh, if you've ever had a relationship with
1: him. So I've known his son for a long time through business circles, and um, when I first ran for office and, or I guess, for reelect in 2018. I was successful in getting his son's endorsement and later the president's endorsement. Right. Um, I endorsed the president in 2016. I was one of the first statewide electeds to come out. Uh, obviously I helped out my dad, but when the writing was on the wall, yep. I saw that there was this energy at the grassroots level in our state. and And I traveled to Iowa, South Carolina, you know, the early primary states and it was very clear that he was wrapping it up. And so I jumped on the train and, you know, there's a little known position here in Texas called the victory chair where you work with the state, party chair to help elect all of your down-ballot candidates. And so I raised a million and a half, which was easy to do with President Trump at the top of the ticket, and a high watermark for the Republican Party in the state of Texas with close to, I think it was 90 seats in the Texas State House. Wow. um, And about 17 seats in the Texas Senate. So it was maybe even more than that. Um, And so it was a really good night for Republicans. I helped them out in the reelect in 20, and though the verdict didn't come out the way that we wanted, um, it was a good night for the Republican Party. We solidified gains in Hispanic communities, and we continue to pick up um, opportunities and in, in growing, uh, you know, different demographics in our state. Now, in terms of this race, I've talked to the president twice since I've announced. Um, he mentioned that Brandon Judd, so the National Border Patrol Council, right. he considers to be a personal advisor on southern border issues, namely uh, illegal immigration. And so when he heard that he endorsed me, he was very surprised by that. He said that he was concerned about Ken's ability to win in the general election, and that's a concern that all Republicans have here in Texas. Ken was the yeah. lowest vote getter last election cycle. And this is nothing against Ken personally, but for right? the good of the party, it, it, it just makes sense for him to to step aside and just have a candidate that's conservative, that has a proven track record of representing Texas values without the baggage so that we can focus on the Democrats in November of 22.
0: Yeah, that is the key, getting everyone or in the same direction and focus on that. Well, Commissioner, this, I could go all day. This is such a fun conversation. I want to stay on track. It sounds like you got some news coming out in the next couple of weeks on the border, the border wall. So we'll have to check back with you then and uh, and see what uh, what legal work you're working on there.
1: Absolutely, we'll do so.
0: It's an honor to have you on the show. Thank you for spending so much time with us today.
1: Absolutely, John. Take uh, care. God take bless. care
0: now. You too. God bless. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break and then we're going to wrap things up for the day. Folks, if you get your wallet stolen or your cell phone or your car, we know what it is. It's old-fashioned theft. It's crime. We know it. Criminals now have a new way to steal our most valuable asset, our homes. Older Americans are most vulnerable to these types of thefts, and that's because they more often own their homes outright. An 88-year-old Florida woman recently discovered that scammers forged her signature, created a fake deed to her home, and then took her property. Those who buy a property from a deed theft scammer often become victims as well. What can you do to protect yourself? It's simple. My good friends at Home Title Lock provide the premier detection technology to protect your home the podcast. I'm very grateful that you are here to listen. Hey, I've got an idea. I've been using this service. I love it. They're now partners with us here at Just the News. Paint your life. You take a photo of something precious in your life, your family, your friends. You send it to them. They get a real artist who creates a real portrait, a real painting. This is an incredible gift, one that lasts forever, touches your heart. I just did this for my wife recently, broke her into tears. It was great. It's just such a meaningful thing. Well, right now they're running a special uh, for us. At paintyourlife.com, there's a no risk opportunity. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now, because you're a Just The News listener, a uh, John Solomon Reports podcast listener, uh, you're gonna get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. How do you do that? Just text Just News, the word Just News, 64,000 on your phone. Let me do that one more time. Just news, text it 64,000 on your phone. You'll get that incredible discount. What an opportunity. Check it out. We'll be back tomorrow with more news. Until then, God bless you and God bless this incredible country, the United States of America. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out.